welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having phenomenal Wednesdays. Things are going great here. We got a lot of topics uh, to dive into. I think you guys are going to enjoy them. Um, and, uh, and let me go ahead and give you a rundown here. We're going to talk about the Kansas City Super Bowl shooting. Uh, sports media go silent on gun violence. Uh, J.J. Reddick says sports fans have no interest in X's and O's. Uh, FUBU is suing to stop the sports tier package involving Fox, ESPN, and Warner Brothers. Uh, Trump verdict, I'm telling you, if you can, you live in New York, California, Illinois, and you are watching or listening to me right now, you need to get out and you need to get to a red state. Uh, out of wedlock births surging and I think it's often tied in with violence. I will talk about that. And Amazon is paying $120 million for an NFL playoff game. Those are all of our topics. Uh, but I want to start uh, with more details coming out about the Kansas City Super Bowl shooting. Uh, I mentioned yesterday while I was live on the air that they announced they had arrested two adults. Two juveniles have been arrested as well. And now it comes out that one of the guns that was used in the shooting had been stolen. And what you're seeing is everyone is suddenly going silent uh, in sports media. Almost no one is weighing in saying, oh my goodness, let's talk about gun control. Let's talk about getting guns off the streets. It's just silence because the individuals that have been charged now, two juveniles and two adults, uh, all of whom, to my knowledge, by the way, are black, uh, is an uncomfortable conversation that the sports media doesn't want to have. And so let's have that uncomfortable conversation because we were talking about this some on Clay and Buck, but I think it's important in the wake of the Super Bowl shooting, over 20 people shot, uh, a mother murdered uh, in, in cold blood, totally innocent, uh, happens to get shot by one of these ricocheting bullets that were being fired in every direction. Many kids hit. Um, let's have a conversation about why this happens and who actually commits gun violence. I even saw in the New York Times they had a story about this, um, uh, quoting one of the residents of Kansas City who said, what I told you, that if this shooting had happened anywhere other than the Super Bowl victory parade, nobody would have ever talked about it. Kansas City set in 2023 an all-time high for murders. Most of you probably didn't know that unless you live in Kansas City or that area. It has never been more violent or dangerous to be in Kansas City in the modern history of that city. How does this happen? How do we get to a situation where only conversations occur when identity politics makes it a comfortable conversation for many people on the left and sometimes for people on the right as well? Look, I used to make a, a, a big point of this on OutKick programs. I'm anti-death. I want there to be fewer people who die out there in America. I want your grandma to live forever. I want your sons and daughters to grow up healthy. I want there to be less violence, whether it's using guns or other objects in this country. And I had this conversation back in the day a lot on OutKick and people, it made people uncomfortable. When Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the uh, NFL games and said he was protesting police violence against uh, blacks, 
I said, okay, let's go into the numbers. 75% of people that are shot and killed by police on average every year are actually white, Hispanic, or Asian. That is, they aren't black. Only 25% of police shooting victims are black. And yesterday, we had a big discussion on Clay and Buck about a man named Roland Fryer, who actually did research at Harvard and found that police officers were less likely to shoot black criminals than they were criminals of other races. And he surmised that police officers were aware that they were going to be judged more harshly if they shot someone who was black, and so they were less likely to engage in violence against black people. But I said, even from the moment Colin Kaepernick took his first knee, I said, if we want to have an honest conversation about violence, first of all, I don't think it's smart to do it in uniform at work, whether you work at McDonald's or Walmart or Bucky's or, uh, or uh, the San Francisco 49ers. During the national anthem is not the time to have a conversation, in my opinion, about any issue that you want really talked about because the, the protest during the anthem takes away from the conversation. But I said, why is Colin Kaepernick not taking uh, a conversation about police violence if he wants to have that conversation? But even if you eliminated every person shot and killed by police every year, 98% of shooting deaths would still be occurring. It's important. Why? I said this, and some people got mad at me, go figure. I said this would be like a fat person saying, my hand is too fat. The issue isn't that your hand's fat. The issue is that you are fat in your whole body. And if you want to lose weight, you can't say, man, my thumb is really fat. I got to solve this thumb and then everything will be ready. No. If we want to address issues of violence in this country and of murder, then we have to look at the overall data and we have to say, who commits murders? How do we dial it back? And a lot of people won't have a conversation because they don't want to have that conversation. The overall murder rate in America is overwhelmingly being committed by young black men, the same young black men that are involved in the shooting at the Kansas City Parade. And rather than shine a light on that and say, wait a minute, young black men are around 3 or 4% of the overall United States population, and they commit over half of all murders. If we want to address murders, young black men represent statistically an overwhelming percentage of the violence that occurs in this country. And by the way, most of their victims tend to be other young black men. And people know this. The data is out there. It's been out there for decades. The conversation doesn't happen because it requires an analysis of personal responsibility and how all of this is occurring. And I've got a thesis. I've got a thesis that violence in this country is overwhelmingly a failure of fatherhood. And this is also an uncomfortable conversation because it requires a lot of people to examine their own behavior and their own life choices. I think about this a lot more now because I have three boys. And whatever you think of me, I would be a failure as a father, in my opinion, 
if one of my kids ends up with a gun and engages in a violent act that takes someone else's life, or God forbid their life is also lost because of a violent act that they're involved in. I'm not talking about being an innocent victim. I'm talking about being involved in a violent act. 16-year-old, 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old. In fact, my 9-year-old is home right now, uh, homesick from school, so I've been doing the show and running around trying to take care of him. All right, 10th grader, 7th grader, 3rd grader. I got three boys. I hope that all three of those boys grow up, become dads, have lots of kids, and are productive members of society. I'm here, about to be married 20 years, not claiming to be anywhere near a perfect dad, but I try to be better than I am, right? That should be the goal, I think, of life in general, be better than you are. I'm fortunate. My dad was fantastic. My parents have been married almost 55 years. Uh, I have a sister. My dad and mom were very good parents. I hope that I am being a pretty good parent, okay? And I'm not setting the bar incredibly high. I'm just saying if your son, it's usually sons, if your son is involved in violent behavior with a gun, you have failed as a parent on some level. And you go and look at the data and you say, okay, who are these kids? White, black, Asian, Hispanic. Who are these young boys, these young men, that engage in violent acts with guns? Do you know what the data reflects? A huge percentage chance is that they're from single-parent homes. And now look, I'm not trying to take a shot at people who are single parents. I know a ton of fabulous single parents. I, I can only imagine how challenging it is to raise kids as a single mom trying to be the role of both mom and dad or a single dad trying to be both mom and dad. And some of you are going to do such an incredible job that you're going to beat the odds. Your kids are going to grow up, be wildly successful, incredibly productive, and break the single parent cycle. They're going to get married, and they're going to have kids, and they're going to be incredible dads and moms, okay? But you know what nobody will talk about? Government has created much of our fatherhood crisis. I believe the great society, Lyndon Baines Johnson, the idea that we're going to try to help poor people has actually created more fatherless homes. Let me give you a stat here. I was looking this up during the radio show this morning. Did you know that in 1965, 76% of all black children were born in two-parent households. 76%, over three out of four of kids were born with a black mom and a black dad at home. 1965, not that long ago. By today, over 70% of all black kids are born in single-parent households. This is one of the biggest stories, I think, in America today that no one talks about. How did we go from 1965, over 100 years after the end of slavery, where 76% of black kids were born in households with moms and dads, to by today, where over 70% of all kids are born outside of a marital home. 
Now, the argument that they try to make on the left is, well, this is a legacy of racism. This is a legacy of slavery. If that were true, why has the black family collapsed since 1965? And by the way, the black family has collapsed more than anyone But white families, Asian families, Hispanic families, the family unit itself has fallen into disrepair. If this were a legacy of awful systemic racism and white supremacy and all the arguments that the left wants to make, why did it not exist in 1965? Why did the collapse of the black family coincide with the rise of the great society and government deciding that it needed to be the father figure, not the father figure himself. And I would submit to you, and this is something I spend a lot of time thinking about, that men in this country have slowly entered into a crisis that nobody addresses. How often do you hear about unequal wage How often do you hear that women only get paid, whatever it is, 86 cents for a dollar that every man makes? And then you go look at the data and you're like, yeah, because women have kids and they leave society and that women and men are actually paid the exact same uh, almost in every job in America, but that men just end up working more years. Never hear that conversation. You know, men live four years less than women. You know, women get 60% of all college degrees right now. You know that women get the majority of advanced degrees? I mean, heck, I was a little bit ahead of the curve. I married my my wife who went to law school. You know, Vanderbilt Law School has more female lawyers graduating every year, including in my class, than they do men. What's going on that men are falling behind and not living up to their roles as the heads of households and as father figures? And by the way, I'm not saying that every man has to make more money than every woman. There are a lot of households out there where the woman may be a doctor and the man may be, uh, uh, maybe I don't know, maybe he's a teacher, right? And the woman makes way more money than the man, and it might make more sense for the woman from a salary perspective to be the full-time worker, and maybe the man does some of the Mr. Mom roles, right? Or vice versa. I I don't really care how the structure exists. I can just tell you, that we have destroyed the nuclear family. And I want you to think about this when you think about that shooting that happened at the Kansas City Super Bowl parade. What is going on that mass shootings have become so much more common? Prior to Columbine, in the 1980s and the 1990s, there weren't people showing up By and large, very often, I know there's exceptions, University of Texas shooting, it didn't occur, these mass shootings. I would submit to you that this is a symptom of the illness that has taken over the American family and that the results are kids, young boys, growing up not knowing how to be men. They have lots of testosterone. They have lots of anger and violence in them. And there isn't a father figure to help to corral that. And building on this further, everybody wants to talk about how much they want to use their platform to make the world a better place, right? It's a big conversation now. I'm going to use my platform. Lots of athletes out there, lots of sports media, 
Certainly, I think about this. I've got a big platform now. My family's taken care of. How many athletes do you see on a regular basis saying that the best thing a young boy could become is a dad and a husband and a raiser of children? Can you name a current athlete that is publicly advocating for men to be great fathers, get married, have kids, and raise those kids. I've heard Tony Dungy talk about it, to his credit, and amazingly, he gets ripped for talking about it. I can't even name a current pro athlete. I know there are some that are retired. Imagine if instead of saying that America is an awful racist place, if LeBron James had come out and said, hey, Every young kid that looks up to me, I'm a great athlete, but the most important job I have is being a dad. Get married, have kids, and take care of your family. That's the best thing that you could do. And it brings it home. The first place I wrote, read this was actually in the New York Times. The place that I read this was, and now I can't not see it everywhere I look, much of American life is artificial now. You have a ton of people on the left, that is, people who consider themselves to be progressive Democrats, who talk left and live right. And I can't unsee it now. All of these elite people, multimillionaires, people who are highly educated, professors, they get married and they have nuclear families and they raise their children in two-parent households. LeBron James does this. But they talk left instead of telling people to try to emulate the lifestyle choices that they have made. Why is that? And why is it considered remotely controversial for men to be calling out men? Uh, women are doing fine. They're graduating. They're getting advanced degrees. Their incomes are surging. Men are falling behind. In fact, there's not enough men in this country to marry all the successful women. The data reflects that women want to find a man, even if they're doctors, even if they're lawyers, even if they're PhDs, they want to find a man of equal educational or higher educational and career achievement than them. This makes sense biologically if you think about it, right? People say, oh, why are all these young women, why do they end up with older men? Because biologically... The more resources a family has, the better the chances are of kids, offspring, growing up, flourishing, and becoming successful themselves. So, look, it makes sense for a 25-year-old woman to sometimes chase after a 45- or 50-year-old man, 40-year-old man. That guy's got resources. You think it's a coincidence that men can have children for their whole lives and women can't? Again, biology is real, despite what you might be told to the contrary. Think about why this is. 
and think about how we're failing. And again, I would love to hear an explanation for why as the government has poured money into the family structure and fathers have been replaced, how single-parent households have skyrocketed and the data reflects that young boys in single-parent households raised by mothers are far less successful than when they are raised, than young girls are. So, again, I think masculinity is in a crisis right now. I think the Kansas City Super Bowl shooting reflects that. Why is no one having conversation like I'm just having with you right now? Not trying to demonize anybody, not trying to say that any one thing is responsible for any one result. The conversation is about guns, not the culture that creates the violence. If we really want to solve the culture that creates the violence, isn't that what creates the shootings? There have been guns in this country our entire existence. The Second Amendment is not going away. Why have random acts of violence skyrocketed? Why are cities setting all-time highs for murder? These are conversations that a real serious constitutional republic would have every day. Instead, we don't. And I'd encourage you, we'll clip this, we'll share. I'd encourage you to share it with some of your friends, particularly if you're a dad out there, granddad. You're a single guy and you're trying to figure out what your role in society is. These are conversations that men should be having. Our role as fathers has collapsed in society. And it is, I believe, super significant in terms of the results. Um, here are Here's data, by the way. Uh, this is from Adam. This is from the National Fatherhood uh, Initiative. Research shows when a child is raised without a dad in the home, they're affected in the following ways. Greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit a crime, more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to be obese, more likely to drop out of school, and right now 17.8 million children, nearly one in four kids doesn't have a biological step or adoptive father at home. That's according to the National Fatherhood Initiative. That's a crisis. And a crisis creates costs. And so I would ask everybody involved in sports media that wanted to tweet about the shooting that happened in the Super Bowl parade in Kansas City, why did you go quiet? Why are you not actually having conversations about real issues that matter that impact things far beyond sports? So that's my reaction to what happened uh, in the Kansas City parade shooting. Again, I think I mentioned this off the top. The gun was stolen. So this idea, oh, guns are the problem. No, no, no. This is about something much more than guns. This is about the crisis of masculinity and fatherhood and the creation of kids who grow up to be the kinds of individuals who are willing to fire guns 
in crowded areas filled with young kids. So that's a serious take. Obviously, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, I, as I've gotten older and I got three boys of my own, I'm trying to think about the future of the country that we're creating for them. Um, much less serious. Let me fix my chair as I'm sinking here. Much less serious. JJ, look at that, by the way. I got to get a better chair. Can somebody out there get me the greatest chair that will not sink, that will just stay? It's adjustable height, right? I don't want just one height. I want the best chair that's ever existed. So if I sit here and I talk to you for 30 minutes, that chair ain't going to slowly sink where halfway through I've got to go. This is like the best, easiest advertisement on the planet. You give me a chair that I can adjust the height of and sit in that does not sink, and I will sell thousands of them for you. Uh, J.J. Reddick. J.J. Reddick yesterday went after Doc Rivers and said, hey, stop making excuses, essentially. Doc Rivers, this is on you. You're now the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. I believe the Bucks are something like 3-7 and seven since Doc Rivers took over, uh, and it's turned into a huge controversy. Uh, uh, I saw where Doc Rivers' son, Austin, fired back at J.J. Redick. Patrick Beverly uh, took a shot at J.J. Redick, said, hey, your most successful tenure was with the Clippers when Doc Rivers was your coach. What are you talking about? And today, J.J. Redick came back and he said, I can do a breakdown of X's and O's, and I'll put it up on my YouTube channel, and 54,000 people will watch. But we get involved in my opinion of a coach and tens of millions of people react. And he said, fans don't want X's and O's. They want, like, the coaching drama. And my answer is yes. Yes. Of course. I got, in addition to the law degree, I got a uh, MFA in creative writing. Um, And I've written, I don't know, this book is my fourth published book. Uh, but uh, I also have a master's of fine arts from Vanderbilt University in creative writing. Um, And so I've studied narrative. I've studied story. Do you know what the number one driver of every story is? Conflict. There has to be conflict. People want to pick sides. The reason why sports works is the conflict is innate. One team is going to win. The other team is going to lose. When you do X's and O's, that is for football or it's for basketball or whatever else, it's not just that people aren't that interested by and large in X's and O's, it's that there is no conflict. People want to pick sides. We want to be a part of a tribe. Every story requires conflict. It ends and then they lived happily ever after. But somewhere in the middle of a, uh, of a story, early on in a story, there has to be a protagonist and an antagonist. There has to be something that someone has to fight against and overcome or else people don't care. There has to be conflict. And so people are like, oh, this is what sports debate shows require. There has to be conflict. No, no. There has to be a debate. There has to be two sides to a story, at least, 
in order for people to innately care. Every sports debate that is really at its essence is really just about a conflict between two different sides, right? Uh, Who's better, LeBron or Jordan? The conflict is which of those guys is better. You take a side, I'll take the other side. Who's going to win a game? The conflict is who's going to win a game. Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Who was more responsible for the Patriots dynasty, Brady or Belichick? Is Mahomes going to be better than Brady one day? If you don't have conflict, no one is interested. Every presidential election is effectively a storytelling contest, and the conflict is embedded. Who is a better steward for the future of the country? And so I I, I guess... Maybe this is just a sign that people don't really understand story. But yeah, J.J. Reddick's right. This is not unique. The data reflects that people want conflict. And so almost every story that I give you, it's going to be a choice. Hey, here is what the conflict is. Here is what I think is the solution for the conflict. Here is my argument of who's in the right side of the conflict. In fact, the entire internet, as I've said before, is just one large blame factory. You ever notice that? Happens with games, but everything on the internet is someone does something and people decide if they were right or they were wrong. There's always a hero. There's always a villain. It's very childlike. That's the way story works. So everything on the internet's a blame factory. Same thing happens in football. Game happens. Team A wins. Did Team A win or did Team B lose? Who made? Who's the GOAT? Who's the hero? That's all natural. Is it not super in-depth? Of course not. And I'm sure if you're J.J. Redick or you are Dan Orlovsky uh, and you are a super astute observer of X's and O's, you wish that people cared about X's and O's. But every time what is it, ESPN does that uh, multicast, And when they put the multicast on, most people don't want X's and O's. They might have a generalized interest in why something does or does not work, but they want the drama. That's why I was kind of relieved. What was the biggest story coming out of the Super Bowl? Would have been Travis Kelsey versus Andy Reid. Ended up how much Taylor Swift was shown on television. Again, you can be upset. Ratings are always going to follow conflict. And conflict oftentimes has a negative association with it. But conflict is good. The absence of conflict is actually totalitarianism. It is, you're only allowed to have one opinion. Alexei Navalny in Russia, if Russia was a fully healthy functioning democracy, Alexei Navalny versus Vladimir Putin would create conflict. The resolution of the conflict through voting would create clarity which would allow the nation to fully heal, right? Um, Trump versus Biden, I don't have any issue with Trump versus Biden. My issue is they're trying to put Trump in prison for the rest of his life. That's not a free and fair election. When you are president and you are trying to put your chief political adversary in prison for the rest of your life, or you're trying to bankrupt him. So all of this, and by the way, let me say this. Trump's going to have to pay over $400 million to appeal the E. Jean Carroll verdict as well as the Letitia James going after the Trump organization. I am talking to you right now in Tennessee. 
Uh, there is no state income tax in Tennessee. In New York and California, the state income tax is around 15%. If I made a million dollars a year, frankly, I make a lot more than a million dollars a year, but if I made a million dollars a year, I would be paying roughly $150,000 for the privilege of living in New York or California. I don't have to pay that in Tennessee, Texas, or Florida. Three southern states with no state income tax. If you have assets right now in New York or California, I would submit to you, sell them, get out, and move to Tennessee, Texas, or Florida. Because over the next 30 years, over the next 40 years, I think you're going to see a massive departure from California, New York, Illinois, blue states, big cities, Chicago, New York City, L.A. And I think you're going to see a movement to the Houstons, the Nashvilles, the Miamis of the world. Texas, Tennessee, Florida. If I had to buy stock in three states right now, it would be Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Because the more money you make, the more you save by making one of those three states your home. Doesn't mean you can't travel to New York City. Doesn't mean you can't travel to L.A. Doesn't mean you can't travel to Chicago. Base all your companies here, red states, where you're not going to have crazy political people coming after you over trying to take away your assets like happening to Trump. You can still go visit. You can still go see a Broadway play. You can still go out to the Santa Monica Pier. You can still go walk around uh, Chicago, go watch a game at Wrigley Field. Don't make them your homes. Get out while you can. Blue cities and blue states, that combo is a bad one. And it's only going to get worse. And the more money you have and the more success you have, the more of a target you become for taxation and potentially for persecution based on your beliefs, come here, Tennessee, Texas, Florida, make them redder, save a massive amount of money, raise your families here. I love it. I'm telling you, it's not a bad move. Uh, FUBU uh, suing. FUBU is a streaming service that has tried to attract sports fans. They have filed a lawsuit against Fox, ESPN, and Warner Brothers arguing that the trio, the what they're calling Spulu, I think, right? Sports Hulu. The trio of uh, sports rights that are offered there uh, is a violation of antitrust law and that FUBU, which, whose stock I believe has dropped 20% since the announcement of this uh, organization, has not been allowed to complete, compete on an even playing field. Uh, tied in with this, I saw where Apple has announced a new uh, scoreboard which will allow you to more easily transition uh, to streaming services and watch games. This is the, the die is cast here, guys. Apple, Amazon, and Netflix, maybe Disney if they hang on to ESPN, are going to have every sports right in the next decade. I think that somebody's going to buy Fox Sports. I think that somebody may buy ESPN for their rights. Uh, I think that somebody may buy Warner Brothers, Paramount. All of these entities that have sports rights, a lot of them locked up for a decade, somebody is going to go buy them. 
And, I mean, I told you, I think one of my predictions for 2024 was that Apple buys Disney. Um, it's, it's not a shocker. I think that's where we're headed. Um, and I question whether the legacy outlets, the Foxes, the ESPN, and the Warner Brothers, are going to be able to launch this new sports streaming for, uh, uh, service going uh, forward. A uh, couple of other things that are out there. Speaking of Amazon and Apple owning everything, Amazon is reportedly paying $120 million for an NFL playoff game. Uh, that game last year was on Peacock. Uh, I believe they paid $110 million for it last year. They said, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Comcast slash NBC said 2.9 million people signed up for this. Now the playoff game is going to cost $120 million, and it's going to be on Amazon, which has Thursday night football. Uh, what stands out to me about this? This is all a prelude. Some of you are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you it's going to happen. I believe at some point in your life, the Super Bowl is going to be streaming, and you're going to have to pay for it. It's not going to be on free television anymore. It's going to be on Amazon. It's going to be on Apple. It's going to be on Netflix. It's going to be on some streaming service, and all of you are going to have to pay for it. Pay-per-view Super Bowl is coming. Some of you are going to say there's no way that's happening. 2024, I bet it happens by 2036. Save this video to the extent that we still have video in 12 years. Uh, I think the Super Bowl on pay-per-view via one of these streaming services is going to happen. That's why they're putting the playoffs on. That's why they're testing it now. They've got to develop the infrastructure and the pipes to be able to handle 120 million some odd people watching it. There's money to be made. It's going to move to streaming. I think they're locked in for the next 10 years uh, under the existing Fox, ESPN, CBS, and NBC rubric. The next version of the NFL rights package, the Super Bowl will be on streaming television. And I say streaming television. I mean on Amazon, on Apple. And by the way, save this too. If I were running Amazon, I would go try to buy Fox Sports right now. If I were running Apple, I would go try uh, to grab a lot of those assets that ESPN and Paramount, CBS, and Comcast, uh, Universal, and NBC have. Uh, but to me, geez, like Amazon buying Fox Sports feels like a complete no-brainer to me. You could buy the lot. Again, this is assuming that they would sell it. Maybe they wouldn't. Um, but it feels like a total no-brainer to me, given the assets, World Series, NFL, NASCAR, um, all of the great assets that Fox has. Roll it in as a part of the Amazon. Buy Fox. Put all of your Amazon programming uh, on the big Fox network. Advertise it. Lots of shows that people haven't seen. Look at how many people suddenly saw Yellowstone when they put it on CBS. It's a no-brainer. And Amazon's sitting on piles of cash. That's why I said I think Apple would buy Disney. Joe Biden's uh, Department of Justice is not allowing, uh, and their uh, Federal Trade Commission, Lena Khan, not allowing a lot of mergers. They're arguing that everything almost is antitrust. We talked about this uh, with JetBlue uh, and their attempt to buy Spirit. But to me, from a pure business perspective, this is a no-nonsense, uh, uh, no 100% uh, certainty. And by the way, I, if I were running Amazon, I would also buy like DraftKings uh, or Fanatics or someone like that and roll all of that in as a part of 
the new ownership structure that I would put in place. So there you go. Uh, multi-billion dollar idea for all of you for free. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the show today. We obviously talked about a lot of different serious related topics. Um, if you enjoy it, share it, go subscribe. Uh, the Outkick Show. Um, this has been uh, Outkick the Show. As always, I say DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I will see you guys tomorrow.